Listen and subscribe to the Growth Craft Startup Community Podcast on all the major podcast players, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere where podcasts are available. And leave a five-star review if you like it. We need those reviews to grow the show, and it's the easiest way to help us grow the show that you can do right now. So head on over to iTunes, head on over to Google Podcasts or Spotify, and leave a five-star review for the Growth Craft Startup Community Podcast. And tell all of your friends who are entrepreneurs to take a listen. And thanks. Hello, my name is Hassan Sorrells. This is Tom Libby. Welcome back, everyone. And you are listening uh, to the Growth Craft Podcast. The Growthcraft Podcast is designed with the startup founder in mind. This podcast is committed to growing your connections to our Growthcraft advisors, increasing your engagement overall with the Growthcraft community, and to growing your knowledge about all of the benefits that Growthcraft can provide for your startup, your project, your ambition, and your goals. We can't wait to bring you along on our journey today. Now, here on the podcast, we interview startup founders, advisors, and others about their journey, their process, their procedure, and how they got involved with Growthcraft. And today, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, or we would like to welcome to the podcast, Gil Perlberg. How are you doing, Gil? Thanks. Great. Thank you. Today, for our listeners, uh, what is it that you do exactly? What I do, it takes a little bit... Uh, to describe, because it's not your generic uh, IP consultant job. I help entrepreneurs uh, protect their know-how and connect it to their business. And um, the reason I came to this is because I've been one. And I found that uh, the advice I got and the common wisdom doesn't work or didn't work for me. And I've seen it not work for many people. And they lose a lot of um, resources, opportunities, and uh, a lot of frustration in the process. So what they do these days, they try to work with entrepreneurs and help them build a moat around their IP. And um, doing it as effectively and efficiently as possible. And it's often not the direct route of going to a patent. So, Tom's thinking I, about that. He's thinking well, about that answer so, to the question. Yeah. So, so, so I, I'll, I'll continue. I'll continue. Yeah, I was going to say, I, could you go a little deep? Because so to me, like before I, 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 we were joking about a few minutes ago about I, I like to ask, I like to ask how you or why you got into this. But before we go there, because IP to me sounds like big, scary word, right? Like, it sounds like a big, scary thing. And I feel like our audience needs to understand that you take that scariness away but how do you do? How do you help them not feel like IP is so scary? Well, first of all, an entrepreneur, and I'm from my experience at least as one and as working with others, here's a lot of musts. You must do this. You must do this. You must talk to customers and understand what they need. You must talk to investors and describe what you're planning to do in detail so they'll invest. A thousand musts all around, and then comes the IP guy and says. Uh, you can't tell people. Otherwise, you won't be able to protect it. So first you protect. But what do you protect? So first of all, we demystify some of the musts. You can talk to people if you know how to talk to them without sacrificing your IP. You can do things gradually. And you can find ways to protect your IP before you go to the lawyers. And you don't have to understand all of the IP terminology and concepts, but you do have to understand some basics so you'll know when to ask questions. I'll give you a for example. I was working with an entrepreneur and he wanted to, he had written a patent with a lawyer and he wanted to impress a strategic partner, a large company, and he sent them the patent. 
detailed patent, 40 some pages, all this technology. And they came back a week later and said, not interested. Now I asked him later, had he sent them a PowerPoint presentation with three slides, you would have gotten the same effect. You would have seen is it relevant or interested. But now he's exposed himself completely because the patent was a provisional patent. And like with most technologies or startups, we pivot. We change things along the way. So knowing how to handle and manage your contacts and your information is the key. And knowing how to, we have the saying, do no harm. How to, not to step, think of minute before and don't step on minds. Yeah. And that's what I try to teach entrepreneurs. And that requires some basic terminology and concepts because unfortunately, most entrepreneurs and people in startups are doers. They want to move forward. They make mistakes, they fix them, they go on, they circumvent the problems, whatever. Fortunately, IP has a different uh, structure. And you need to combine the two structures, the doer and the IP savvy. So, so, so now, now I'll ask the question, and I, I'll let Hassan ask the next one. So, <laughs> so now I'll ask the question. So, after all of that being said, so why do you have such a passion for this? Like, what what prompted you to really want to push this agenda of like of helping entrepreneurs avoid minefields, right? Like, especially when it comes to IP, because it, it's, it's like I said, most of us think of IP as a big, scary beast and you make it sound like it's really simple. And I, I'm not downplaying your role because I think it, I think you just, you turn the complex processes and complex thoughts in, into something that's manageable for people like me. So I, I appreciate that. But what, what prompted this? Like, what was the catalyst that made you think, I got to go do this because entrepreneurs just don't get the help that they deserve? So, because I've been burnt. So I was an entrepreneur. I started my career as an engineer, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, R&D management, product development, management, managing in startups and large corporate, whatever. And uh, there were a few uh, instances, one where somebody worked with us in a medium-sized company and uh, stole our know-how and went off to open a competing business. And we sued him for trade secret misappropriation. And there was a confidentiality clause in his um, employment agreement. And there were NDAs in place. And we got to a legal proceeding. And um, I was asked, what exactly were the trade secrets that were stolen? And I said, everything. And I listed everything about the company that this guy knew. And the legal authority presiding over the discussion said to me, Mr. Perlberg, what exactly were the trade secrets and how were they protected as such? And I didn't know what to say. And I thought, this is crazy. We know, we all, everybody in the room, there were six people in the room, knew this guy took information that was not his to open a competing business. We thought we did the right thing. We had legal advice. He had an NDA in place, it was worthless. The discussion ended in five minutes. The guy presiding over the session said, we came here to discuss trade secret misappropriation. It seems that your party doesn't know how to define or describe its trade secrets. End of discussion. So, so that, I, oh, go ahead. I just went and said, this can't happen again to me or to anybody I know. This is, and it's not so hard. It's not trivial. You have to put some thought to it. But once you put the thought into it, and I can guide people how to do, how to talk to other people without spilling the beans. Or for instance, if you have an NDA in place, understand what is the confidential information that you're talking about and say it out loud. And then you're clear. It's simple if you know. If you don't know, you step on a landmine. So okay. that was... One instance, I'll just give you another instance with a patent. Um, somebody patented a technology, the technology of a company I was working with. I was vice president of R&D and we had a unique technology and we saw that somebody patented 
uh, something that improved our product or technology. And I was surprised. Why would he do that? And then he came to sell it to us, the patent. And I said, no. But that was foolish of me because later on, it uh, affected my ability to deal with other people and sell my products and license that technology. So it was foolish to let him be able to understand the technology well enough to write the patent before me and not to accept it when he did. So how to do business, how to be preventive and defensive um, is key. And that's what I, um, that's why I'm passionate to help people understand. I think sometimes we ask the wrong questions. So Isan, I'll just say one more thing and then I'm gonna go to your question. There is a saying that many in the industry understand and agree with that 95% of patents are worthless. So the question is, how do you get to the good patents? If you turn the question around and say, how do you avoid the bad patents? you'll find there's a lot of place to work with. And uh, it's much easier to stay out of the bad zone and you're in a much better situation to have a good patent. Join us online via Zoom at the Growthcraft Startup Community Founders Forum each third Tuesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Look, advisors and founders, we're, we're all in this together. Building relationships with your peers and entrepreneurship is just as important as connecting with experts and advisors. Each month, every third Thursday, we'll meet online via Zoom to share ideas, get support, support each other, and talk about universal issues that nearly all startups share. We'll celebrate our victories, chat about challenges, and then break out into small groups to address a timely topic of interest. It's a great way to meet like-minded entrepreneurs. Check out the links to the third Tuesday events on the Growthcraft website and join us at the Growthcraft Startup Community Founders Forum in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to right now. Okay. So staying healthy, young and healthy is, is the key. Okay. It's it's saying, it's on, hurry up, hurry up before Gil takes over the podcast. Yeah, 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 before he takes over the entire thing. <laughs> Stop, Gil. <laughs> All right. Um, let me, let, no, 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 it's okay. I'm going to rein this in a little bit and I'm going to go back to something that you mentioned at the beginning, because I don't think there's some clarity there, or, or maybe I'm just not bright. Right. And I'll be fully willing to admit this. Maybe I'm just not bright. And you already, you already sort of laid it out for us, but I want to be very clear for our listeners. What are the beans to the point about your story? What are the beans that were spilled exactly? Like when I think about a trade secret when I think about IP, um, I may not know what those terms mean. So what is intellectual property? How is that different than something that is copyrighted or trademarked? Um, what is a trade secret? Where is that? What's the definition of a trade secret? You know, um, what are some definitions for, for our listeners so that they have some clarity on what we're talking about here? Yeah, so that's usually one of the first things I do. And I have this um, drawing of the four blind men and the elephant. Mm -hmm. you know, intellectual property is all of the things you said. It includes okay. trademarks and includes copyrights, whatever. But for most startups, the important thing initially is trade secrets and patents. And the first thing that I hear from most entrepreneurs, and they come to me and say, we need to write a patent in two weeks or in two months, doesn't matter. It won't happen. Um, so then they say, we'll write a provisional patent application, which is wishing for something that's uh, like a genie in a bottle. It's cheap, it's quick, it gives me protection. It doesn't give you protection. It does, it does easy and cheap. It doesn't do the job. It leads you towards 95% of worthless patents and harm them. So what I do is, first of all, I help them understand some key facts of life. IP life, for example. You can't write a patent after the product is out. In the questionnaires for Growthcraft, I asked the question, do you have any patents? And people say, we'll write the patents when we have more resources, when we have customers and the product is out. Doesn't work that way, you can't write it then, it's too late. 
Um, how do you manage your trade secrets? We'll talk about what it is in a minute. Let's say we have an NDA. We just discussed having an NDA is a must, but not sufficient. So a trade secret, you have to have the NDA and you have to define it and protect it and show that it's protected. So trade secret is where everything starts. It's your know-how that's valuable that you don't want your competitor to know. That's the definition I use. So if I have a business in a restaurant, my menu, um, if I'm going to change my menu in a month and I want to make a big splash out of it and I'm based, planning to invest a lot of money and this is part of it. For that month, the new menu is a trade secret. If it gets out two weeks earlier and my competitor starts selling these dishes, I lost my advantage. If I have a secret sauce, Coca-Cola is one example, but a lot of companies have secret things they do. A company that provides service and great service, and that's what their business is. How they provide great service, we all provide service. How do you do it? Great, and they have a little tricks of asking the right questions, and they, it's written down for no people who join. And how do you pass the information? How do you do the follow-up and whatever? That's their trade secrets. That's their secret sauce. It's not patentable. If it's technological and it might be patentable, while it's being developed, it could be a trade secret and kept quiet. So a trade secret is what I keep to myself that I don't want to my competitor to know. My competitor will have an advantage. If he does know, and I will be disadvantaged. That's sort of in a business, plain English kind of terminology, not the legal definition, but it's sufficient. People get hung up on the terminologies, confidentiality, trade secrets, whatever. Don't worry about it. Whatever is important to you, try to figure out how you can keep it to yourself. But I wanna go to the next step, which is I'm in a sales process and I'm on a technology. And the other side is technical and they're asking, so how does it work? But that's the trade secret. But you got to make the sale. He's a technical guy. So you have to manage these situations. The default for most technical salespeople is to explain how things work. Could be tens or many, many years of effort to get to the right solution. And for a single sale, which might not be completed, you just shared it with everybody. So how to how to manage these discussions without sharing everything is key way before you start writing a patent. Because you're having these discussions with investors, with the potential customers, with the other people. And I, I think I think I think the restaurant industry is a really good one to use as an example, right, for people to understand, because the like the ingredients of a recipe might be the same across six or seven different restaurants. But the manner in which you deploy those ingredients could change that itself is a trade secret versus the ingredient. Yes. Right. So that's I think the restaurant industry is a really good example of that, um, right. of that example of, of that process. Sometimes you'll see a row of restaurants on some strip and a lot of people on one restaurant, and they're all selling the, the same, same kind of whatever. <laughs> all of them yeah. use the same merchandise they bought at the market next door yeah. and whatever. It's how they prepare it, how they dish it, how they smile, all of the above make people want to come again and again. So let, let, let's let's switch gears just a little bit and, and talk about like how the interactions work. Like how do you actually help people from a like, what does the engagement look like? What is the what is the starting process for you when you have you have you you just met an entrepreneur? You want to bring them into your world and help them. What does that look like to you? How does that interaction happen? And and uh, like and, and tell us first. Ask them where they are with respect to their business and to IP where it fills in. The discussion usually is very from their side, very short on the business and saying, I need to write a patent. 
need to protect my idea. Investors expect the patent. I asked to talk a lot more about the business. Where are the revenues going to come from? Who are the partners? Who knows uh, what the secret sauce? Have they identified what is the secret sauce? What could be patentable? And then we do a little scenario playing. Let's say you have a patent and something that you're doing, and we describe what it is. What does the patent mean? That you will have a monopoly on something. You can go after other people who are doing that. That's what it means. So I'll give you a, for example, some people have invented an improvement to something they did in the past and they're improving it and they want to patent it. Now, their competitors are not doing what they did in the past and will probably not use their improvement because it applies only to what they did. If it's a piece of machinery or device that they made and now they want to improve it. Their competitors have their own devices. So I asked them, how is this monopoly going to help your business? And if it's going to cost you fifty dollars to $100,000, will there be a 10 times return within three to five years? But that's the way we buy capital equipment, right? And this is capital asset. So the discussion might go, will investors expect it? Okay. And expect it, that means you can write a provision in a short time. But then I go to the do no harm. I write a provisional and I disclose a lot of the information. There's two caveats. It's probably not in final form, so I won't be getting the protection I seek, but it's probably gonna be sufficient to prevent me from getting a patent in the future because I've already disclosed a lot of it. So I fall into a trap. Understanding how the trap behaves is part of the discussion and then how to circumvent it. And um, it, it, there's never black or white. It's always shades of gray in some decisions. But we can get to a place where I'll go back to the discussion with the salesman on the technical. You can share information. You can move forward in the sell process and uh, without sharing everything. Or you delay the sharing of the critical information to when you've concluded the deal or right next to it. But not to everybody who's just interested to know what you're doing. That's not the right way to go. So I'll give you another example. Um, again, a group came to me and said uh, they had uh, developed a process to extend the shelf life of produce on the stores, worth a lot potentially. But from what they explained to me, it's very easy to understand. Once you see it, it's gone. And they said, we have to write a patent in a few days. Why? Because a large strategic investor is coming with his technology people to see it. And actually, after that, maybe two more potential strategic partners. So let's do some, I said, first of all, you're not gonna write a patent in a week. That doesn't happen. So let's put that aside. But these strategic partners are coming. Well, let's do some scenario playing. If you tell the first one what it is and they understand, uh, you lost your secret. You don't have anything to tell the second one anymore. Don't bother even hosting him. It's a waste of your time and his. So sharing the secret, it's valuable only as long as it's a secret. So what do they do? You tell them that it's a trade secret. You tell them that's your Coca-Cola recipe. If they're serious and honest and understand and plan to invest in you, they want you to be able to hold on to your secrets, to your trade secrets. Otherwise, they're not not—they're investing in, in the wind. So if they're serious, they'll understand it. So how do you convince them? You show them the product. You say, look, this is the produce. It's been on the shelf for a week. Take this produce, it's been one day old. Keep it for a week. 
I'm back to me. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, there's another way I tell you. So I came back to them about a year later and they said, hey guys, are you ready to write your patent now? They said, we don't need to. We know how to protect our technology and our business. Much cheaper, by the way, more immediate. And there's a lot of other things I can say because technologies constantly evolve. When you write the patent on day one, you don't get all of that improvement. You only have what you wrote on day one, which is usually very, very different from what you have when you're already profitable on seven. Looks like Asam was going to ask a question there. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking notes. I'm scribbling stuff on post-it notes, which I probably can't say on the podcast because that's probably patented. But uh, anyway, nah, it's a brand name. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um several things are are literally cascading in my head as you're talking, Gil. So I'm going to try to suss out a core idea here and sort of throw it at you and see what you do with this. So Tom asked you how you work with an entrepreneur um, who is coming to you with the need to have a patent, and, and you gave two great examples there. Let's kind of rewind that a little bit because there's there's different types of entrepreneurs, right? So there's entrepreneurs who are involved in service-based businesses where basically, for want of a better term, they're selling air, right? They're selling ideas or they're selling concepts um, that can lead to results, okay? Um, I'll use myself as an example. I'm not in a hard product business. I'm not making a physical product that goes out of the world. But I am implanting ideas in people's heads, right? And by the way, not new or original ideas to me just the way in which I deliver them might be new and original, right? Or they might be new and original because they're coming out of the mouth of Hassan Sorrells versus coming out of the mouth of Tom Libby, right? Okay, so that's what makes them original ideas, okay? By the way, that's the the, the undergirding of copyright ever since we decided that copyright was a thing. Okay, cool. So you have service-based businesses, then you have pure product-based businesses. You mentioned... Um, you didn't mention, but you talk about manufacturing, right? So if I'm making a, I'm holding up a mug right now for those of you who, who are, are listening, uh, you know, if I manufacture mugs, that's a hard product, right? Um, and there's ways that I can manufacture this mug that are unique to this mug, right? Where it gets tricky is where you have a product and a service merged together, right? So I think of, Tom brought up restaurants, I think of Chick-fil-A or I think of McDonald's, right? Or I think of Burger King. I just named three big brands there, right? And they're all fundamentally selling sandwiches that are deep fried and terrible for you, but they would all claim that they're doing it differently and that their processes are patented. I've I've seen the little patent pending thing on in McDonald's and I've seen the little patent pending thing on Burger King and I've seen the little patent pending thing in Chick-fil-A. They would all claim that they're doing something different where the product or the service merges together. Okay. That's the baseline of my question here. If I'm an entrepreneur coming to you and I am in a service-based business or I am in a business that is product and service merged together, how can you and I work together? Because if I'm in a service-based business, I may be listening to this and maybe struggling with thinking about what exactly is it that Gil can provide for me? Or if I'm in a weird hybrid business, what exactly can Gil do for me? Because it seems clear when you have a physical product. Like if I'm making electric cars, that seems really simple, right? But in other places where it's ideas or ideas and, and um, products mixed together, that seems to be a little bit murkier, a little bit trickier. Can you kind of suss that apart for us? Yeah, I'll be glad to. So first of all, it's not what Gil can do for me. It's what do I need? Sure, okay. And the business needs to be, I want to protect my business. Right. Now, most people or some people don't even think in those terms. You just think of, I'll go get a patent. It will protect my business. Got it. Or maybe, maybe now I'll have some trade secrets and protect my business. So what I do is we, and I work with a partner, we go into their business canvas. And we talk about all aspects of their business. Where's the revenue coming? What's unique about it? Who are their partners? We do a risk analysis. Who might, uh, where might our business be in jeopardy? Uh, key partners, um, 
strategic partners? What's the value proposition? We spend a lot of time on the business plan and maybe it has nothing to do with a product. And, and I'll give you an example. And then what we do is, what we try to do is we work with the 2080 methodology. You don't need to understand everything. You need to understand 20%, maybe that's even a lot. That will keep you out of trouble so you'll know what to ask. And after this discussion of the business, their situation, their environment, we try to give them the 20 that they need to answer the first phase. You're not going to... This goes back to the bus, and I'll give you an example in a minute, but when people, entrepreneurs tell me, I must do this, I must do this, I must do this. Yes, but not all at the same time. Investors don't expect it already and uh, FDA regulated and approved it, et cetera, in the first quarter. You must know, you must be able to show that you know what you're talking about and that you have a plan to get there and that you know how to avoid some landmines, not all of them at this point. So we try to give them what they need when they need it and then continue and give them tools to see some stuff by themselves. So I'll give you two examples. Um, one is I worked or a couple of a small firm or group that does um, teaching on the internet of um, mechanical drawing elements, whatever. And they were looking to expand. So this was a, a couple doing this for many years and they wanted to expand. And they had everything pretty well written down and they've been doing this for years. And how do you expand? You bring on new employees. You have to teach them. So we broke it down into segments of the material. You don't have to give them the whole manual. And you don't have to give them to teach the whole manual. Break it into little areas. Work out a plan where it's over a two-year period. Then you also know if you like each other, if you work together, etc., etc. It's like... Uh, like any marriage, you start, oh, I don't know. You start off slow, you get to know each other first. You don't have to share everything on day one. So that's a, it has nothing to do with technology. It does, it's not necessarily IP, any marriage. And yeah. we're, we're, for those of you who can't see the video, as soon as Gil brought up marriage, the three of us kind of chuckled. So I just try to throw that out there for you, the audio, for your <laughs> audio people. Sorry, Gil. Go ahead. That laughter. Or you can edit. We can yeah. put we'll, we'll cut that all out. Yeah. We'll put that, can we put that can? Can we put the canned laughter in from the, the old the can uh, sitcoms? Yeah, I can find that. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, Gil. Uh, no, no, that's copyright so free. It, it has can nothing laughter. to do. It has to do with uh, how do I protect my business? That's what they came to me for, and they knew that they didn't have a patent, and they said, "Can you help us at all?" And after, and this didn't take very long. It was a few hours to understand what their business model were, the risks, and how to minimize the risk. And uh, that, that's the key, I think, is to minimize risks and uh, leave opportunities and be flexible. And nothing here is absolute. There's no absolute protection and there's no 100% uh, risk-free. It's all about risk management, which I believe this comes from my management background. That's what managers need to do. Manage risks, minimize them, leverage opportunities. Um, yeah. Join the GrowthCraft startup community online via Zoom each first Tuesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time for Expert Tuesdays. With Expert Tuesdays, you'll hear from one of our top-notch expert advisors and thought leaders in an informative workshop or presentation focusing on a topic important to emerging and growing companies. From sales and marketing to storytelling and leadership, in this hour-long monthly session, you will be able to connect with the GrowthCraft community, advisors, founders, and others. And you'll learn entrepreneurship skills you can apply to your startup project uh, right now. Check out the links to the GrowthCraft website to join us on Expert Tuesdays in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to right now. And thanks. Look, I got, a, I got a different type of question for you here, Gil, right? Because let me let me lay this out for you. And I think it's going to be a really simple answer. And I, I think I, I, what I'm looking for is a, is a very simple answer. But 
it's good. It might take me a half a second to get the question out. Before I met you, and I, Gil and I have known each other for a little while now, so it's not like I met you yesterday. But before I met you, I didn't understand that there was a difference between a lawyer and an IP consultant. And as a matter of fact, I didn't even realize IP consultants existed. But since knowing you, I now have a very clear uh, understanding of what the differences are and why I would go to the two different people for different purposes. But there's a, I think there's something that everybody that is listening to this podcast right now needs to tr really understand where you can be so helpful, especially to a startup, is in cost savings, right? So I think, I think we, we've kind of danced around uh, like what you do, how you do, all that stuff is great. But I think if we don't hit people right between the eyes and let them know that they can save a huge amount of money by going through somebody like you first and, and, or never going through an attorney, but they, they might require it later or whatnot. But what, what do you anticipate a cost savings would be by going through, by, by interacting with somebody like you first before ever entertaining a, a lawyer? And I'm, again, I'm not suggesting lawyers are not useful, I'm not suggesting that you don't need them. I'm suggesting that there are ways that you help people mitigate the cost of the overall protection so what, what can you talk about? And like I said, in the beginning of this, I think it should be, it's probably going to be a very quick answer, but can you talk a little bit about that? Like what is the cost savings in, to that, to that, uh, to that process? It's, it's cost and value. It goes together. Yeah, right. Not just cost. Right. I agree. So, um, first of all, I'll talk about the value for a second. And, um, there's what this, I mentioned this before, this uh, term called provisional patent application, was it shipping quick, cheap and quick. And because I was intrigued by this uh, when I started my IP journey, uh, I studied this because many entrepreneurs go there. And uh, at the end, I wrote a book with a friend called Use and Abuse of the Provisional Patent Application. So the cost is the same if you do a good one or if you do a bad one. I helped you to do a good one. You're not saving dollars right now. You might even spend a little bit more dollar, but you'll not waste opportunities and fall into the 95%. So the savings sometimes comes when you don't need a patent or when you're thinking of writing a patent or preparing a patent on the wrong subject. So uh, you still need the same IP budget but you're going to use it better. Or maybe you'll divide it differently. It's not um, about um, getting, um, saving money necessarily. It's about using your money better and getting a better return on investment. And you'll know that sometimes later and sometimes immediately. For instance, this company with the, um, technology to extend the life of produce. They suddenly didn't need a patent and they were able to talk to investors and etc. In other cases, uh, we changed the strategy altogether. Somebody came to me, was referred to me, by a lawyer who looked at this technology and said, I think there's three patents here easily. And uh, we started talking and again, because of the must and because of the business model canvas, et cetera, we look, and because I understand technology a little bit, said to them, listen, this isn't patentable. It's not gonna serve you. Let's start fresh and um, figure out what patent will be right for you. And it took four months, but um, he felt much better about the process and it saved them writing three useless patents. So sometimes you need to not spend money on IP and still have very good protection. Sometimes you get for the same money, a lot better protection. And um, the reason that I think I'm qualified to do this is because I've been there. And I, I understand the must and I understand what the entrepreneur is thinking. They have so many things to do. They don't have time for 95% of what people are telling me I must do. And I tried to give him just what he needs when he needs it. Well, and there was a time when <clears throat> the dominant idea from venture capitalists was 
no one's going to steal your idea. So just run with it. I mean, you, we're all, we all, we've all been around the last 20 years, you know, on this conversation, we've heard the nonsense. Uh, and I will say it's nonsense that comes out of some of the larger VC firms. Um, you know, the, the idea that no one's going to steal your idea, the idea that the internet is a great sampling machine and it's sticky and it'll help you. And so entrepreneurs, to your point, who do not have a business background, who do not know how to think strategically about these kinds of areas, um, or who are um, who are good at what they do, but are naive in a whole lot of other areas. Um, and I'm not knocking folks; I'm naive in a whole lot of areas too. You know, it's it's you got to go out and 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 sort of uh, sort of strip away some of that naivete and get a little bit sharper, right? As an entrepreneur, and usually that only comes through through hard experience. To your two examples that you brought up a little bit earlier in our conversation. Um, but entrepreneurs are operating in that kind of environment or, yes. or even in the backwash of that kind of environment, um, not just um, not just in America, but globally. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. And then I want to turn and talk about Growthcraft. I want to start talking about that and, what you, and why, you're with, why you're with Growthcraft. But maybe a leading question for that is, so you are in, if you don't mind me saying, you're in Israel right? You're operating internationally. Um, how is it different? <laughs> this is another question that someone would ask. How is it different operating internationally versus operating in an American context? Because America is a very unique, obviously, I mean, it's the largest, I think after China is now the second largest, although we may have pushed China out of that net number one spot and back into number two. It's either, so it's either the number one or number two, and you all can come for me later on. The number one, number two largest consumer market in the world, right? Um, and Almost every international firm or international service provider or product entrepreneur wants to get into America, wants to sell to Americans. Um, but that's a little bit tricky, right? So how do you navigate working internationally versus working in an American context with a, uh, with a startup founder? Well, first of all, in my personal professional experience, I spent a dozen years in the States. And that's where I got my first um, professional period. Sure. So okay. I'm familiar with it. And I still work in industries which are normally English-based. The law, the IP, is uh, that I study and that I uh, converse in is usually the American legal system. And I'll give you an example. I sometimes go over NDAs and help people fix them a little bit. Sometimes the lawyers are not in tune with this. It's a very boring document and everybody has it. But and I, it's so, and it's so boilerplate. <laughs> that's the part. It's not exactly. And recently I tried to do this again in Israel and a local attorney told me, you know, the definition of confidentiality and trade secrets are very well defined in the U.S. legal system and in the Israeli system, not so. And there's, therefore, you have to do something different. I was not aware of that. So you have to lo you have to go to the locality sometimes and ask people, where are you going to be working? And maybe you need an NDA that's fine-tuned to where you are, maybe. But worth asking a local attorney and not assuming that what's right on the East Coast would be right there. In the East and the, the US, what's right on the East Coast is not right in California. No competition laws are different. Not many foreign lawyers are. I don't know. A lot of foreign, a lot of people don't know that. Are not sensitive yeah. to it. Um, on the other hand, I did bring or work with companies going into the U.S. Everybody wants to. That's the market, um, and I can understand the hardships and translation that people need to be given to understand when you speak in American uh, business to speak in European, Israeli, or Far East. I have, I'm closer to that than other people. We're sensitive to the nuances. And my sensitivity always leads me to ask locally and currently because laws change, uh, business changes, whatever. And um, don't take anything for granted, like this thing with NDA that surprised me completely. I thought I was well-versed in this uh, mindless document. 
And so does that answer the mm -hmm. yeah 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 and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna beat hasan to it because i'm gonna ask you the question about growth <laughs> yeah, I, I was already thinking about <laughs> it uh so so we we like we love to talk to our advisors and, and ask them the like the hard question right like so what what attracts you to Growthcraft? Why are why did you get involved in the first place? Why are you still involved? Because I know you've, you've been involved here with Growthcraft for a little while uh, with us. It's not been again. It's not like like I said earlier. I, I didn't meet you yesterday. <laughs> um, but what attracted you to Growthcraft in the first place? What do you like about it, and what keeps you engaged with the Growthcraft community? So when I worked with companies before, or sometimes. I advise them about IP manners, but sometimes also about business development, project management, and other things that I've experienced and uh, done well. But I think people need to be an expert in something. And it's hard for companies to get to align the experts. And we tend to um, give advice on things that our expertise is not the core. And we dilute ourselves in the process. So I think Growthcraft is a great solution to a real problem. How do entrepreneurs find the experts they need who can also talk to each other? And they don't have to be the entrepreneurs don't have to be the go-between to explain what this one says, what this one says. We can talk to each other at the same time, the same round table. I think it solves a lot of problems and there's a real need. And I think that when you don't have it, uh, entrepreneurs step on landmines. They don't know that the two professionals are giving them good advice, but they're not in sync. And it could be that the entrepreneur didn't give them the same story exactly. They didn't uh, dig deep enough similarly. Uh, they got different versions of the story and the advice is um, adjusted in that fashion. In GrowthCap, we're starting to get to know each other's advisors and can talk to each other and fine tune the advice and give them a more holistic approach and I think better altogether. And I think it's a unique product. So um, I've worked with a lot of accelerators, worked with, worked in as an entrepreneur myself and as an advisor too. It's like, um, there's a lot of people involved, but nobody's integrating and there's nobody, and they don't often talk to each other. And when they do, they sometimes hesitate because um, it might take away from their time with the company or entrepreneur. So growth has a slightly different, uh, not maybe not slightly, it's a different model. And I think there's a need for it. That's why I'm there. Awesome. I'll let, I'll let Hasan wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, let me let me bring uh let me bring this sucker home. Let me land this plane. So um <clears throat> usually at this point in the podcast, uh, at this point in our conversation, um we will uh ask our guest, uh founder or advisor, uh where can we find you, right? Or uh you know, what would you like to promote today if anything? Do you have a website? Do you uh how do we connect with you? Are you on social media? You mentioned writing a book. Um, what are all the places that we can uh, we can get a hold of you, Gil? Um, or if I'm a if I'm an entrepreneur um, looking for um, IP help, right? Um, because I don't know the right questions to ask, and I can't navigate the uh, the landscape, and I am in a position where that NDA maybe is you know a little bit flimsy. Uh, how do I how do I find you? How do I get a hold of you, Gil? Well, one is through Growthcraft. The second is through LinkedIn, and three, I have a website. Pearl IP, and uh, all of the above would work. And the book is uh, Use and Abuse, Provisional Patent Applications, Use and Abuse, and it's on Amazon, and um, all of the above, but come before you do anything. Come before you go spend and decide, I need to do something, what are you thinking? Am I at risk? Do I have a risk here? Let's analyze it. Maybe maybe everything's fine and you can save yourself a big headache. And maybe just a little bit of advice will save you a whole lot of um, um, headaches and expenses further down the road. Awesome. Um, I can, and, it's a, I can... and it's a process, by the way. It's not, um, 
It's not like a patent where, yeah, I got a patent. And you know, I paid $30,000, I have a patent. That's not the kind of, it takes a while until you, you're on your own. We try to help you until you stand on your own and you can come to us only when you need a pro or when you need something. Awesome. Well, we will have links to all those places that Gil mentioned, um, his website, his book, um, LinkedIn. And of course, we'll have a link to his profile um, on the GrowthCraft uh, community uh, page um, in the Mighty Networks um, uh, community uh, available in the show notes. We'll have all those links in the show notes below the player of where you're listening to this podcast or watching this podcast right now. Um, I agree with Gil. This is a process. Uh, risk mitigation is an ongoing process. And um, risk mitigation in IP is probably one of the more impactful and important areas um, that we can engage in as entrepreneurs uh, during this time uh, where rapid technological change is uh, is moving, well, quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to thank Gil for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah. Um, always a pleasure. And uh, with that, we're out. So long, everyone. Thank you. Shalom. Each second Thursday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, join GrowthCraft live and in person at Second Thursdays at CIC, located at 1 Broadway, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Located at Kendall Square, CIC features the most engaging entrepreneurial community in the Northeast, right next to MIT and minutes from Harvard University and downtown Boston. With 250,000 square feet of professionally managed, flexible workspace, CIC has every office amenity you could possibly need to scale your startup project. For those of you who are local, or if you're just visiting Boston, GrowthCraft advisors and founders can meet others in our community face-to-face. Join us for an informal social and informational get-together. Meet others, chat with advisors and peers, make connections, and then stay for Venture Cafe starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern every second Thursday at CIC. Check out the links to the GrowthCraft website to join us live and in person at Second Thursdays at CIC in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to right now. And thanks. Thanks.